say, look at how the time three, two, goes. One. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast. I am your host, John Allen. And how you doing today, George Estes Blackburn? How you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Coming. You kind of broke up. You, you you froze just a minute there. <laughs> yeah, you know we're doing this on 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 FaceTime. I, I wish you could be here yeah. in person, but here we are doing it yeah. on FaceTime, and there might be a little lag in the internet connection on my yeah, end. Or just, on your, yeah, uh, most likely my end. You know, technology is a cool thing. This is really fascinating that we can do something like this. I'm still fascinated by yeah. these technological things, and it's pretty I cool. Am, pretty cool to be able to do these kind of things. But sometimes, yeah. you know. With the delays, with the lag in the internet and stuff, it, it just, uh, no, nothing beats a face-to-face conversation. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, here we are, two Americans in Norway. How did you get here? Uh, I got here from, through uh, ex-wife number one. Okay. With, not to be confused with ex-wife number two <laughs> or my current wife. Oh, okay. Three times. Um, three times. There you go. Third time's a charm. Third, yeah. Three times lucky. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with practice until you get it right. That, that's right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so so uh, I tell people I met my wife, my little Norwegian wife, on a Friday night, and all of a sudden I woke up on Sunday and I was in Norway. I don't know how it happened. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Know the feeling. <laughs> um. You are from the state of Mississippi. That is correct. Yeah. Where, where in Mississippi are you from? Jackson. Jackson Capital City. Jackson, Mississippi. Um, for about 18 months when I was finished uh, with my active duty time in the U.S. Marines, I took a job as a truck driver. I was living in North Carolina at the time, and that job took me all over the United States, but I was very much in the southern uh, Southeast United States, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I was I was quite often in Mississippi. Now I'll never forget my mother, my sister, and my grandmother had come to visit me at my home in North Carolina. This was shortly after I had started truck driving, and uh, my grandmother, who who had never she had never been inside a semi-truck before so I, I lifted her up and put her in there she's looking around and she asked me she says John where, where are you going baby where, where are you going on your next trip I says well I'm going through Mississippi and she looked at me uh, you know this old uh, this old woman from the hills of Kentucky and her eyes got a little bit bigger and she said baby be careful yeah, And I said, oh, Grandma, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I've got my training. I know how to drive. She says, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Be careful. Mm-hmm. And that kind of struck me. I guess that was, that was something I had never really thought of before. You know, she's coming from the old school days, you know, with the green book where blacks had to, you know, kind of route their themselves through different areas of the country, mm-hmm. depending on where they would get proper treatment. This, So she was in that old school way of thinking. And when she knew I was right. going to Mississippi, she told me to be careful. Yeah. Now this was in, um, this is in around 1994, 95. So you as a Mississippian, George, and we're roughly roughly the same age, you and I. In mm-hmm. 1994, 1995, did my grandmother have good reason to tell me to be careful as I would be driving through Mississippi? I've, I've, if you asked me in 1994, 95, I 
probably would have said no. Yeah. No. But now, you know, and I still like to say no, but I, I'm I'm not entirely sure that's that's the case. Um you know, I, 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 I heard one time, uh, and I do not remember who the quote was attributed to, but there, were, there was a quote uh, that's something like, the, the northerner, or was it the northerner loves the race and hates the individual, whereas the southerner hates the race but loves the individual. Oh. Regard, and this is regarding black people. Interesting. Um, and, I, you know, I, I can't speak... For everybody, I can't certainly I can't speak for anybody coming from the north because I, I have virtually never been there, mm-hmm. um, and I I, th- I think a lot of Southerners tend to, particularly those that were the domestic help, like to think of them as part of the family. And right. how much they really are, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a white guy, and I did not have to concern myself being out after dark or going to the wrong spot right. Or, right. or anything else. Um, but, again, like I said, I, I think I, now you ask me, and I would probably say, yeah, there's probably reason to be concerned. But if you asked me in 94, 95, I probably would have said, no, nah, there's, you know, no, you're, you're, you know, your grandmother's <laughs> misunderstood. She, you know, yeah. she's blown it way out of proportion. Uh-huh. It's not like that. She, um, well, well, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you mentioned about how, um, I, I think that was a very interesting thing you said, uh, hate the race, but love the individual love uh love the race or yeah, yeah and, and then the opposite yeah. the opposite yeah um did you grow up with domestic help in your house uh we did for a time uh it was a black woman i would assume he, yes well we we had we had a few first we had um uh, uh alberta and she and she actually helped she helped my grandparents. She worked for my grandparents. What kind of work did she do? Uh, uh, yeah, just you know, domestic stuff, uh, cleaning, okay. some, yeah. cleaning, some cooking. Uh, you know, watching after the, you know, my dad and and uh-huh. his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then later, uh, we had at our house, uh, nice Mary and mean Mary, and we <laughs> and then. In the end, we had we had Josephine, okay, and she and she's the one that I remember the most, and 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 she was with us up until, gosh, uh, I don't know for how long. I don't know when she started, but probably around seventy seven, seventy eight. She, uh, I, if I remember right, I think. Uh, my parents had to had to let her go just because they did not have, they could not afford it. Okay, did she did um, she live in the home with y'all? No, no, she not she did not live in the in in our house. She okay. she she had a car. She had a she used to pick us up from school, but she had because both my parents worked. Okay, yeah, and she had a big uh, I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was big and purple, and it was a convertible, and we used to, we used to call it the Batmobile. <laughs> 
And uh, and so when she she pick <laughs> us up and and you know and drive us home, and it was just always a blast to ride in the Batmobile. But she and she worked at uh, she also worked at the church, um, and I don't know if that's how we got sort of in touch with her to begin with. But she worked at the at the church we attended. Okay, I'm I'm just trying to get my head around that entire concept of having. Um, I, I don't know. It, it it seems almost like a um, and forgive me if I don't want to sound like I'm trying to bash your your family and and their way of thinking back in those days, but there seems to be something very hypocritical about that whole thing of the domestic help being almost like they're a part of the family, and yet there were racist overtones and undertones throughout the entire situation the entire yep. arrangement yep. That, that, that just fa- that fascinates me that 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 exists yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i agree with you i mean it is a it's a but it's nothing you thought of of at the time no it was it was you know it was part of it it was just uh, you know and i guess i never thought about it in a way because it was never detrimental to myself Right. Or my right. family. You know, I know that sounds, you know, awfully selfish and, and egocentric, but, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you know, you don't think about those sorts of things, I don't think. And, and also, also, and not to justify it, but just to explain the, the, the normality of it, when, when that entire setup, you know, with domestic help and how they were accepted and not accepted, how they were treated, whether it was Mm -hmm. considered good treatment or bad treatment, uh, when it was the way it was throughout that entire uh, area and throughout that entire state, throughout that entire region, when that was the normal, you know, uh, I can imagine, I can see how it would be difficult for you to see anything wrong with that because there was nothing wrong with it according to the way that social demographic was set up at that time. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was, uh, I, I read somewhere some, uh, about, um, systemic racism is like, it's, it's, it's like the oxygen you breathe when you are born. It's the oxygen you breathe in. Yeah. It is, you know, it, it permeates the, the culture that much. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I, I really, and I hope that I'm right. I like to think that that it's that it's changed some um, since then. In the South, I have I have I, let's say I last lived there. I first came to Norway in '96, and then moved back to the states in 2001, and then moved back to Norway again in 2006. So I had five years there. You know, early 2000s. Um, did you see a difference and, then? Not, and not really. But again, I was sort of in the same same situation. I was living in the, I was living in a predominantly white neighborhood. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked at a, uh, I worked at a private club, uh, a tennis club. Uh, so that there was, it was pretty much, pretty much, uh, you know, it was an all white membership. As, I'm laughing because as a stand up comedian, I, I see so much material in, in that imagery yeah. of, of a tennis club in Mississippi. 
Yeah, uh, and we had and we had you know uh, most of the staff was yeah. was black. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Office office staff most of the office staff was white and and you know cleaning and cooks and and waiters and all of that the were were black. So, so how prevalent is it? today or how prevalent was it when you went back in the early 2000s uh the whole concept with domestic help you know with the woman in the home clean and basically working as a servant you know i i i, I don't know I, I i really could not tell you because uh you know we didn't have one and i i'm sure i knew somebody that did but i um we didn't you know, it, it it wasn't you know a topic that was really discussed, and I and that, I don't think that was out of shame. It was just you know you just never talked about it. But you right. you know I, I've I've seen on social media where people are you know celebrating events with you know and their and their help is I you see. know in 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 the picture and. Uh, and part of it because um, to, that that concept seems so archaic. It seems so uh, uh, so far in the past, and yet mm-hmm. it's not. It, you know, it, it's pretty interesting. Just by chance, I didn't plan this, but by chance, I'm reading a book. This is the second time I've read this book. It's a book by John Grisham. It's called The Reckoning. And yeah. a big part of that book, it's it's uh, it's based in, in Mississippi. Uh, a place called Crawford, Mississippi. I don't know whether mm-hmm. it's fictional or real, but uh, I, I think it, I think it's his fictional okay, place yeah, or one of yeah. And in that book, a large part of the story is about uh, the domestic help, and this was back mm-hmm. in the middle '40s, like uh, right after World War II. And you know, that's you know, that's a couple generations ago, and yet here we are, uh, both of us being the age that we are, around around fifty. Mm-hmm. And and you lived that. It's fa- it's fascinating yeah. to me. It's fascinating. It's not so yeah. old fashioned as as one would have it. It's it's quite modern, quite normal, fairly recently. Yeah, I, I think probably about the only difference now is that, uh, and, and again, how prevalent is uh, the with domestic help? I don't know, but um, I think probably the main difference is you know they're not wearing a uniform right yeah yeah back in those days they had the classic made uh, yes uh, yeah yeah so what what happened then what is it that made you change your thinking or at least become more aware of the disparities between black society and white society uh you know just watching the news really you know i thought a lot of it had to do with moving here uh to norway because oh, really? it's a, how so a, yeah yeah well i th- i think so, I, I think here you know they've they've got the you know it's it's a socialist society and and they do more for the common good uh and I, and i don't mean that you know norway is not racist because i I think I think it is. Yeah, it is. Um, and you know, and and uh, and again, I, I was reading, uh, and I do not remember the name of the book, but I was reading a book um, about the war, uh, World War Two, and the aftermath, and that 
you know, black soldiers who came back who had fought for the country as, you know, as just as much as uh, any white man uh, were denied services and denied this and denied that. And I think, how fucked up is that? I mean, that's just, that's just, uh, to me, just unacceptable. It's really fascinating that that was allowed. Um, you know, no exception for the black soldiers, regardless of the service that they, uh, that they laid down for the country. And I spoke about this on other episodes of my podcast. Um, uh, you know, you want to talk about generational wealth gaps. Well, a lot of it can be traced back to black, um, uh, servicemen who didn't get their just due after World War II. They didn't get their, yeah. their, their uh, interest-free housing. They didn't get their educational benefits. And that has a ripple effect that will last over generations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 absolutely. And uh, I, I just, it's, you know, and I've, I've also read a quote a few times that uh, if, if, if Eisenhower fought if Eisenhower fought the Germans the way he fought racism or uh, civil rights, we'd be speaking German right now. That's a good quote. I never thought about that, but uh, but that is quite and, true. That's quite true. And that he he was he was very very soft on it and just nah, you know. Um, well, it's the difference between a soldier coming back from service after World War II and falling right back into sharecropping, for example, or being able to have a easily affordable home and an education. Now, that mm-hmm. right there is two totally different streams that that family could have floated down. One yeah. is one of education, prosperity, and inclusion, and the other one is the exact opposite. Um yeah, the, you have also you have you have the great quote by Martin Luther King um, about, and I'm paraphrasing here about uh, people telling the black man at that time to pull himself up by his bootstraps when he doesn't have any boots. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and and, and they and and that's what, and I see that's what happens even today, and not just but but to to those in poverty. Yes. And yes. it's you know black white it, it, at that point it it doesn't matter, but it's. You know, there you see, you see it constantly. The people that you know, I don't have any boots to pull myself up by. Well, you know, I'm working there, three jobs and I still can't make ends meet. Well, there's something there's there's something that is dripping through our society, and I say dripping because it starts at the top. It starts with the White House, and it just drips down through society. This thing that has turn people into selfish, callous, non-caring people. Yeah. To me, America, you know, the, the whole principles of the founding fathers uh, was this thing of unity and uh, a common cause. And I think we, I, I don't think we've seen that yet. It's written in the Constitution. It's written, you know, all over the place. Uh, from the early days of the United States, but I don't see it being put into practical uh, uh, operative terms. It hasn't happened yet. No, uh, no, it hasn't. Uh, and it's, and it's just, it, it's a, it's a travesty. Uh, uh, but it's been particular, I think particularly hard on, on African-Americans who, you know, were brought over against their will 
forced into labor uh, where plantation owners and a lot of other people made a shit ton of money. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then they fought, and then they, you know, started their own country to yeah. be able to keep doing that. <laughs> Yeah, against the you know fought a, started their own country fought a war against the United States to be able to keep people enslaved. Yeah, you know, and and look the way the way I look at it, I, I think we just need to admit that that's what happened. We need to admit that, and then once we've admitted that, then we need to work on. I call it righting the wrong. We 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 have to right the wrong, and. To me, that means reparations, but I don't think reparations means a check in the hand of every black person. That's very superficial. Uh, I don't think it's going to have a, a lasting positive effect. Uh, to me, reparations means leveling the playing field. And that doesn't mean taking anything away from everyone. It just means leveling the playing field. Um, I saw this this morning. Um, there was a law that was put into effect uh, under President Obama that basically reinforced a Fair Housing Act that was put in place in 1968. Uh, and President Obama did something to reinforce that. I don't know the details, but basically it was a fair housing yeah. uh, uh, measure that would um, make it very, very difficult um, to engage in racial discrimination uh, when it comes to housing. Well, the current administration has removed that. Yeah, and, and I just to, saw, I saw that. Yeah, did you see that? And to me, that is a jaw dropping. You know, people ask me, "Well, how does um, uh, can you can you give me any example of how the president or how the Republican Party is racist?" Well, there you go, right there. <laughs> <laughs> they have yeah. taken away. They have rolled back. They're rolling this back to the civil rights era. They're taking away advancement that has been made since the civil rights era, and they are making it easy. They're opening the door to racial discrimination when it comes to housing. So mm -hmm. that falls right back into line with, this, with the, the, the generational wealth gap. If it's harder for black people and other racial minorities to get good and decent housing, it's going to be very difficult for them to advance themselves socially and economically. Mm -hmm. yeah. So examples of, of racism in the current administration and from the president, there you go, right there. Yeah, yeah. It's all, you know, pick a day and pick a tweet. It's, it's, it's almost <laughs> that prevalent, I think. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and, and to be honest, I, you know, as far as the current administration, even if they did a bang-up job on everything else, you know, I, I the the amount of misinformation and disinformation and and the lack of communication and the poor communication, the misogyny, the personality, that cult of personality, I, I just I, I cannot accept. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, just awful. And it's beyond it's beyond a Democrat or Republican thing. To me, it's an issue of morality. It's an issue of right or wrong. Yeah. You know, I personally, I don't care if someone is a Democrat or a Republican. That that's meaningless to me. And any, let's call it normal political differences that there are. Well, 
I think that's okay. I love, I love to have those discussions. But mm. when you get into this blind acceptance of the current administration and specifically of this president, then I, th- I have to question I guess the question is how much is how much is okay? How much are people willing to accept in the forms of misogyny, racism, um, low moral content? How how much of that are people willing to accept so that they get a bigger tax cut? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, you're right, and I think it seems like a surprisingly large amount of people. um, You think he's? You think he's going to continue after? After November 4th? I, I really, really, really hope not. Um, I, I, th- I think he, he he will be the ruin of the country. Absolutely. I mean, he, I, he is so short-sighted. And right now he's just in there. You know, he's the fox in the hen house. He's, yeah, he, yeah. Is, he is in there. He's trying to make as much money as he can before he gets either kicked out in November or you know, continues to, to loot the, loot the coffers for another four years. Um, and you know, I just, I'm, I'm amazed that nobody foresaw that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's not like he was hiding who he was. No. Good Lord. Look at, look at his, (laughs) look at how he has always been. He has never changed. He has always been the man that we see today. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. It, 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 it is. It is. It's too, it's too early to boggle my mind. <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the, we had. But you know, but we were we were discussing, you know, the race and and the and the culture and it's and I got I I called you the first time because I, I think this is important I, because of this picture that I had seen and I'll I'll show it to you the you know the listeners can't see it. This is my. Yeah. Let's see that. where is, uh that one right there is my great great grandfather. Yeah. Uh and those are his brothers. Now that is an and old school in, picture. That is yeah. Yeah. They they were in the first Mississippi regiment and they fought at um Oh gosh, they were all over the place. You have to take a uh, you have to take a, uh, a a cell phone photo of that and send that to me, please, if you don't mind. I I, I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Um. Uh. But the uh, the second Mississippi, that that flag was um, when the Confederacy capitulated. Nat Bynum, the standard bearer, tore the flag from its staff and hid it in his bosom, and bore it safely back to Dixie. Uh huh. So you have, you know, and this this was my this was my great great grandfather that wrote this for for the news the local newspaper, uh, the Corinth Herald. Uh, anyway, it uh, let's see. They fought at uh, First Manassas, Sharpsburg, Gettysburg, Gaines Farm, Boonesboro, and Malvern Hill. Yeah, uh, but th- th- see, th- you know, and and I bring this up because this is part of. You know, for me, that that was just a family heirloom. Yeah, and we also had his watch, his pocket watch, oh. uh, which uh, he was shot through the neck and became uh, shot through the neck at Powder Springs. 
was and before he was before he became unconscious, he placed what money he had and a solid gold watch in his hat. Camp followers stole the money and the watch, oh. and then uh, later on, yeah, and the doctor sent a message to the family that you know come get him, he's he's going to die, and then he ended up recovering. So they sent a message to intercept the family. Which they did, and he uh, he returned to take command of his troops and was shot through the thigh at Pickett's Charge in again, Gettysburg. Injured again. Wow. Yes. And then um, 48 years after the Battle of Powder Springs, a Dr. Warsham and a friend, uh, no, he was a friend and, and close uh, friend, a comrade and close friend, it says, uh, of Major Bynum was fishing on Indian Creek in the Tennessee mountains. An old trapper came to his camp and was showing Dr. Warsham the old Keywinder watch. The doctor recognized it at once and paid the trapper $10 for the timepiece, bringing it back to Corinth and gave it to the family again. Wow. So there's 48 a, years later, there's a story in that watch. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, you know, and this stuff was just, you know, these were family heirlooms and I never thought anything of it. It was just sort of, it was part of the decorations. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and you also grow up in the South, you grow up with the whole lost cause mentality and, and you know, and you've got all the, all the you know, and lately there have been the monuments been taken down and, and, the, and recently the, the Confederate flag taken off the state flag of Mississippi. That's right. That, that um, was a shocker for me. That, well, me too. And, that was a surprise. And, you know, and that, and everybody, you know, got in a tizzy about that. Well, that, you know, that part didn't come on until 1894, I believe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and everybody was, and everybody's been banging on about, well, it's, well, that's not what it was started out being. It started out, it was a benign symbol, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, you know, the swastika was also a benign symbol. Exactly. And, it, and you know, it, it's it, been a symbol going back thousands of years that has meant good luck. It was it was a marketing tool in the 20s for Coca-Cola, even yes. the Boy Scouts. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, so, it came on to be something else, and people acknowledge that it grew into something else, and it has that stigma. But for some reason, people yeah. resist that same logical thought process when it comes I, I, to the Confederate flag and, and all of its symbols. I, I know, I know, and and, and that, I think that's that's what fascinates me, because um, I, I was I was reading this uh, a brief history of Confederate flags, and uh, in eighteen sixty one, six southern states uh, had a convention in Montgomery, Alabama, and many of the delegates wanted to just keep using the stars and stripes. Uh huh. Or one that was very similar. Uh-huh. Uh, so the first flag they used was the uh, what they called the stars and bars, which had a, a red bar at the top and at the bottom, and a white bar in the middle, and then in the in the Union corner, a uh, the thirteen uh, star stars representing the thirteen Confederate, Confederate states yeah. on a blue field. Yeah. So it looked very similar to yeah. the stars and stripes. The U.S. flag. Well, in battle, it, it came about that in, in 61, 1861, uh, Beauregard, General P.G.T. Beauregard, 
directed his quartermaster to to issue each soldier a piece of red flannel that they could have on their arm okay to distinguish them because these two flags when they're walking along if there's no wind they look awfully similar they look you may awfully not, similar yeah you may not catch that yeah, yeah. yeah. and it happened and it happened that that uh, Confederate troops were coming from uh, this was at first Manassas coming from the south uh, and or you know I think it was the south anyway it doesn't matter but they were coming from one side with with federal troops on the other side and before they could identify the troops as friendly some got shot yeah yeah so they they ended up you know after a long back and forth and this that they came up with what is the the, the Confederate flag. Yeah. Now, the, yeah. the also called the Beauregard battle flag. Yeah. Um, and and it's uh, you know and it was so that's what it was. It was I suppose a benign symbol to begin with. Yeah, but it you know it also represented at the same time it represented a country that was fighting to promote slavery. And, you know, and part of the part of the lost cause, though, is this whole states' rights deal. That oh no no no, it wasn't slavery; <laughs> it was states' rights. Well, well, what, isn't it the states? Wasn't it the states' rights to continue with, among other things, slavery? Well, yeah, they can't uh, they can't the, separate that fact. No, and, and they don't. Um, in the letter of secession, it's there. The state. Yeah. The Mississippi State Letter of Secession, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. Its slavery supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce of the earth. And there you go. There it is. Yeah. And, and, listen, and it gets even better. These products are peculiar. They're not even people. They're products. These products are peculiar peculiar to the climate verging on the tropical regions, and by an imperious law of nature, none but the black race can bear exposure to the tropical sun. And that These is products, written. That is written in their letter of secession, is it not? Yeah. Yep. Yes. That's it. That's the sort of the introduction, and then uh, that we do not overstate the dangers to our institution. A reference to a few facts will sufficiently prove. Uh, it tramples the original equality of the South. There's, 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 a, there's several of these, but I, and I've underlined just a few. Uh, it advocates Negro equality socially and politically and promotes insurrection and incendiarism in our midst. Well, there it is. I mean, it's, it, it's yeah. written so plainly, and yet you have people who ignore the facts of that, of, of, of that document that you're reading from. Yeah, yeah. And I've, and this 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 one su- surprised me the most because it's been it's been used again now lately. It ha- has enlisted its press, its pulpit, and its schools against us until the whole popular mind of the North is excited and inflamed with prejudice. <laughs> the the North inflamed with prejudice. Okay. Yes. Wow. And it seeks not to elevate or support the slave, but to destroy its present condition without providing a better. 
Wow. So they're so, saying slavery is the best thing for black people. Why change it? You don't have anything better for these black people. Exactly. Amazing. It's, it's, Amazing. it's the best thing. It's the best thing they've got now. And unless you come up with something better, you know, well, you know, I don't know. Freedom, freedom is pretty good. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I wonder. And I, and I wonder how. And, and again, I wonder how people can 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 circumvent those words. People who claim to be a diehard uh, Southerner, um, uh, you know, loyal to those old ways, and yet they will hop over those facts because there's others. Yeah. There's other states who had very similar wordage in their uh, in their documents of of secession. But mm-hmm. people will just jump right over that and say that the Civil War or the, the, the cause of the Confederacy had nothing to do with slavery. Fascinating. Yeah, Fascinating. It, it is. And, then, and, and, I'm, and I'm fascinated with the, with the hypocrisy of these people that you know, claim to you know, God-fearing, United States-loving people, but you know, they've, they've got all of these statues you know, that pay homage to to fallen Confederate soldiers, all the Confederate generals. And, but, you know, would you do this? I mean, I think, it, I think it's worthy of a, of a comparison, you know, with Nazi Germany. Sure it is. I mean, would you, would you, would you put up statues of Hitler around well, the States? And, and, he, and he fought against America. And the, the situation in Germany and how they've dealt with uh, Nazism and, and World War II, uh, it totally destroys the argument of, of supporters of the Confederacy who say those statues need to be up so that we can remember our history. Well, again, no. there's not a single statue of Hitler in Germany. The history is there because it's taught in schools and there are museums where you can learn about that history. Yeah. So it's not necessary to have statues of Robert E. Lee on every street yeah. corner in every capital of, of uh, in the South in order to know the history of the Civil War. That's what schooling is for and that's what mu- museums are for. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of learning in museums and libraries and that flag that I showed you the picture of that, um, uh, that is now in the state archives. And if I want to, I can call up the state archives and say that I want to see that flag and they will bring it out and, and, and I can go, go see it. Uh, I have no, I have no need to go see it though. And I I, mean, and and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I, I think, you know, that's, I think that's part of the mentality is, Nobody wants to admit that their family made mistakes. You know, I, I you know, this is my great great grandfather. Never met him. You know, I, his his granddaughter was my grandmother um, on my father's side, and I and and she was a, she was a sweet sweet lady, uh, and I never heard her utter a single racist word or comment. No. Um, and I don't, and I've and no, never saw any racist actions, uh, uh, from her or my grandfather, No, but you know, I, I don't know why he fought to my, to the best of my knowledge. We, uh, you know, he, 
or any of our family has never owned slaves. Um, so the only thing I can assume is that he fought because he felt their way of life was being threatened. Um, and I think that's where you see, and it's sort of the same uh, with the current administration is that they're, you know, they're, you know, this frenzy and making people scared yeah. of, yeah. F- for their way of life. Yeah. Um, I think and, that's quite reasonable to, 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 you know, not everyone who fought under the Confederacy was a, uh, uh, a slave owning black hating racist. Not everyone no. was. Some of them were, a lot of them were, most of them were, but some people I would imagine, you know, when they see these federal troops coming, uh, you know, marching towards their land that they've worked hard to, to, you know, to build up and they've, they feel threatened, physically threatened. So they take up arms. I'm sure there were people who, as you say, just felt that their way of life was being threatened. Just like not every German soldier was a card carrying Nazi. So we have to be reasonable in this thing, but I think it boils down to the need for people to recognize why that war was fought by the South. And when I say by the South, I don't mean each individual, but I mean the South as in the Confederacy, as in the organization of those states. It was fought to maintain a way of life which included and which was founded on slavery. The glue that held that all together was slavery and racism. And people need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that and then, as I say, move on and right the wrong and make things right. You know, Um, absolutely. Absolutely. But what do you think about this phenomenon called white guilt? Uh, You kind of touched on it. You said nobody wants to admit that they or their family has done anything wrong. Uh, And then here comes the white guilt thing. Now white guilt manifests itself in a few different ways. It can manifest itself very internally. It can be internalized to where you become a person who just won't admit, you know, that racism is there. You know, that you may have, um, you know, benefited from benefited from your whiteness, or you may have said and done and felt racist things in the past. So you internalize that and you'll never talk about it. You'll never admit it. You'll never address it. And then there's this other thing about white guilt where it becomes almost this syrupy, uh, 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 you know, I don't know. You kind of see it sometimes uh, in the protests where people, uh, non non people of color, white people, will almost try to take over the protests and decide how the protests should be t- should be should be handled because they get into this enthusiasm. Uh, uh, do you know what I'm saying? They want to make mm-hmm, a difference. Yeah. They want and, and then they kind of take, it's like you see a lot of people protesting today and, and black lives matter or the issues with, uh, uh, you know, people who have been killed by the police are not even discussed anymore. It's just a protest <laughs> where white people yeah. are in the streets. So, so, and, and there's, so there's this white guilt thing. What, what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about how white people should address issues of racism and maybe things? I don't, like that I don't know. I families? think people, I, I think I think the the best thing that white people can do is to engage in dialogue 
Um, Be an I, I, ally. You had a guest on our. Yeah, I heard. I heard a guest. You had a guest on your uh, podcast earlier, and he's and he said, you know, my my way of going about it is not going to go out to the streets of Oslo and and protest, but you know, when I come across friends or, or anybody else that I see, you know, having hand, you know, doing, doing things in, in a, in a racist way, you know, call them out on it and, and engage them in conversation and dialogue. Um, and that's sort of where I am. I, I I'm not one to, to go out and protest. No, um, no, but you know, and I, I think that's where, America has has gone astray, and that is they've lost meaningful dialogue. It's just now it's kindergarten, you know, shit slinging. That's all yeah. it is, name calling and everything else. Yeah. And it's it's us against them, and the, yeah. you know, and you know, and it's and it, uh, it. I think it come. It's on both sides, but I, I personally, I think. Um, I think Republicans are the right. The right seems to be more prone to to call on to call on the left more names, uh, but it, it happens on both sides. Sure, don't, sure don't, it does. Don't get me wrong; it, it, it does. Uh, both sides are equally guilty, I think. In, but I think the in, right, the the rightness or the correctness, uh, is in favor of those on the left. Uh, you know, they may be going yeah. about it at times in a very uh, ineffectual way, but they do mm. want equality. <laughs> yeah. You know, they do want to level the playing field. Whereas on the right, you have people resisting that. And that's what I don't understand. I w I'll engage them in, in conversation if they're willing, but I cannot understand why they feel the need to discuss such things as as uh, racial inequality, such things as police brutality, uh, such things as systemic racism, uh, yeah. to not see that those are issues that need to be fixed blows my mind. Now, I yeah. will engage them in discussion, but I do not understand the need for that discussion. To me, the discussion on, on those things, sh we should be past that and we should now be talking about how to fix it. But you still, yeah. but you still have so many on the right who don't even feel that those things need to be fixed. Look at how many people in the president's cabinet who, and including the president, but also people in his cabinet who don't believe that there's such a thing as systemic racism. It's mind-boggling. It, it is. It is. It's like um, I've I thought here recently that it's it's like it's like being an alcoholic almost, and you and you're not going to get help until that you admit that there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And and I hear a lot of that also that you know well there's not going to be any change until until there's a change in people's hearts well maybe not but until people start talking about it and 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 admitting that there's a problem and you know I, I, you're right that we're beyond the point of discussing whether or not there is a problem there is a problem yeah. And we need to move on to, to discussing how to address that problem and how yeah. to fix it. Um, but, you know, you've got it's very, the, the people that need the help need to admit that there's a problem. It's very difficult to engage those people in a discussion. You know, I, I, I've been accused of this so often, this whole thing about pulling the race card. Um, which I, I don't understand. I don't understand that, that way of thinking. Um, 
if I bring up issues of racism and inequality, I'll, I'll, I'll be accused of pulling the race card and then the other side stops all dialogue. Pulling the race card. Okay. Yeah. The, car, the card is in the deck. The card is in the deck, meaning it is an issue that should be discussed and dealt with. Yeah. And yeah. for some reason, a lot of people, as soon as that topic is brought up, they go into a, a position of defense. You know, I'm not accusing you of anything when I bring up this subject. I'm just bringing up the subject for discussion and dialogue. But a lot of people feel it is an uh, accusatory thing. Uh, they feel like it's something they need to defend themselves from. And mm -hmm. then there comes that whole concept of pulling the race card. Yeah. Very, yeah. Fr very uh, frustrating. Very frustrating. I, I, I would imagine. I would imagine. And unfortunately, you know, that's, that's not something that I have experience with. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm white, you know, my, the, uh, 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 I don't know if this is a funny story or not, but <laughs> when I, in, in, in 1990, it must have been 1997, summer of 97, uh, my first daughter was born, and me and my uh, then wife were strolling through the town square uh, here in Santa Fjord. And I'm white. I have I have black hair. And at, at that point, I, you know, back then I spent, I was a lot of time outdoors, and so I might have been slightly tan. Uh-huh. Um, and this guy comes up, and this was before I could <laughs> I could really speak Norwegian, right? Uh -huh. So this guy comes up, and he he was he was he had a good buzz on, and he was an older guy, and he's on this bike, and he comes over, and he's and he says, and I had to ask my wife after this, but he says something Norwegian, but it was, "Did you have this baby with him?" Oh boy! And she's and she said, and I don't understand you. Know, I'm I'm smiling like a big dope because I'm thinking he's you know oh what a cute baby, right? <laughs> and he says, "Did you have this baby with him?" And and she said, my wife says, uh, "No, I had I had her by myself." What do you think? Of course. And then he starts biking off and he screams, "No mixed races in Norway." Wow! Like, what what uh, what did he say? Because that didn't sound that did not sound like what a cute little baby. And she's like, and he, she told me, and I'm like, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. You know, and now I think about it, and I don't. You know, was that the first time I, I, you ever experienced racism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy probably thought you were you were. I guess I could see that with dark hair and a, and a dark tan because you know in Norway, especially back then. Yeah, Every, you know, everybody, you know, you knew a Norwegian, and and you knew when they weren't a Norwegian, and yeah. you, if you had a good tan, I could see where people could maybe think Middle Eastern or or. or I could have could have been, yeah. Wow, I was I was definitely foreign. So so was that maybe a contributing factor to you changing your awareness when it uh, comes to all things race? You know, probably so. Probably so. I hadn't. I've because never. You I felt it. Really you felt it yourself. Yeah. It was. It was like. You know. I just fuck you. I, you know. I wanted to go chase him down and beat, and beat his ass. <laughs> well, but you know, that was not really an option. I had a similar situation. Um, can't remember where I was going to or coming from, but I was. I was on a train coming. I, for some reason, I was in Oslo um, with my son. 
uh, me and Snoopy's second child. <clears throat> and he was, wow, maybe two or three months old at that time. Mm-hmm. And both of our kids are very light skinned, very light skinned. Um, so he's very light skinned. And to me, it's obvious that he was half black and half Norwegian, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess I can see, because I guess Norwegians, when they're thinking of a black guy with a white Norwegian woman, they're thinking of an African, right? And as I like to say, I'm watered yeah. down. You know, our family is mixed with Irish and 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 Native American mm-hmm. and this, that, and the other. So I'm I'm a watered down. I'm a watered down version. I have no idea when the last uh, drop of African blood was put into my family. Um, right. So I guess Norwegians are, are used to seeing mixed race kids that are obviously mixed race. But at that time, you know, my son was very young and he had no hair. So maybe if he would have had dark hair, they would figure, okay, this was a, a, a mixed race baby. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting on this bus that to a person who's not used to mixed race babies would think that he was just a white Norwegian baby. And this lady looked at me and said, what? She actually said this. She said, what are you doing? And this was in Norwegian. Uh, she says, what are you doing with that baby? And I'm like, excuse me? She says, what are you doing with that baby? It's not normal for men to be babysitters or to be nan- nannies. I'm like, I'm not a babysitter. I'm not a nanny. This is my son. Another lady who heard this conversation going on was sitting uh, across the aisle in one seat behind me. She says to me, she says, don't worry. People won't be confused when your son gets older and he darkens up a little bit. (laughs) So there's, so here I'm being bombarded by two threads of stupidity and ignorance, but it was, it was, it was, and I, and I couldn't get angry. I, I had to chuckle at the ignorance. Yeah. But it, it's, and I can't even call that racism. I have to call that ju- it's, it was just ignorant. Uh, it sounds like the second <laughs> one was, was very well meant. It was very well meant, but the but ignorance Lord. of it all. She said, yeah. don't worry. First of all, as if I was worried about how my son looked, she says, don't worry. People won't be so confused when he gets older and darkens up Darken, a little bit. Darkens up a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These uh, poor Norwegians. So, oh, yeah. so <laughs> there's definitely racial issues. There's definitely racism here. But, my God, is it different? It's, 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 it's different here. And I think a lot of it is based on not, yeah. not a really well-thought-out uh, racist ideology. I think it's based on ignorance. It's based on Norwegians being very isolated in their way of thinking. I, I, I guess, I guess, I guess, a racist back home, you know, they've got generations of ideology behind them. They have a concept. They have ideology. They've got literature where, where they can talk yeah. about their racism and why black people are this, that, or the other or why the white race is superior and so on and so forth. But it seems like Norwegians, it's almost like they're piggybacking on American racism, but they don't really understand it. They haven't really thought it through. 
No, they they haven't. And it's like, I I get I get I get so irritated um, when I see these Norwegians with the Confederate flag on you know yes. in their cars or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, and they're out there. At, you know, for yeah. my non-Norwegian oh, yeah. listeners, you would be surprised how often we see the Confederate flag here. It is prevalent. In fact, it's, it's on. In it on the in it the logo of that television show. The, yes, uh, uh, Norwegian uh, rednecks. Norwegian rednecks. Yeah. 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 God, I just uh, that's. I mean that that show is just an embarrassment. It is, to, and I and I know I've seen newspaper articles where American Americans living in Norway have actually contacted that production and told them what that flag stood for, what it stands for today, and how it affects people. Uh, who know the history of that flag, and they just brush it aside and say, "Well, we, uh, you know, we can't, uh, we can't abide by American morality, or we can't, we, you know, we don't take that into consideration." And it's like the insensitive—I I call it social arrogance. Social arrogance. They have this arrogance about them that that says, "Well, we didn't mean it this, that, or the other way, so we're just going to continue." Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I, I think that's I, I think that's where a lot of the, if, you know, and this is my personal opinion. I think that's where a lot of the sort of the Norwegian racism stems from is 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 an arrogance. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, you see it all the time with in 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 the Facebook group with the Americans. People have such a hard time getting their education approved. Yeah, yeah. For their American education, and I, you know, I'm not saying that American education is the best in the world, but I think it's certainly it, it has to be on par with with well, the Norwegian education. And I think Norwegians are the uh, they tend to overrate their own education and underrate all others. Yes, they do. And I have personal experience with that. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been an issue. It hasn't affected me in a negative way other than to hurt my feelings. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but all of my, yeah. all of my um, background, my education, my, um, my, 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 uh, you know, police academy and further education and whatnot as a police officer uh, means nothing over here. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And the job I was doing can be a, would be a job that someone in uh, Kripos, you know, someone at the mm-hmm. in the and the uh, basically the Norwegian FBI uh, would right. be doing. And yet it means nothing over here. And it's like, wow, you know, what does a guy have to do to show that he's got some smarts? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I, you know, I'm, I'm I trained as I trained as a cook. Um, and then, uh, later took, uh, got a, a bachelor's in uh, vocational education. I finished last year. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I actually, I did not have a problem getting my, uh, my cook's certification approved here and, and put on par with the, with the Norwegian. So I've, I've got sort of, you know, my, uh, fog brev. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but Tra- you know trade I had, school basically for those who yeah trade school yeah, yeah yeah and I and I've had to present that you know uh, along with you know all of my certifications and then and the letter from the from the county administration that okay we have seen this and we have approved it and it is, is yeah. as valuable as as okay. the Norwegian 
You know, it's, uh, a, it's a long, hard process. Some education from back home can be uh, can be uh, accepted here, but very little. And if it gets accepted here, I you know I've seen it. I've seen I've seen people struggling with that. I've seen people never get a foothold here in Norway, uh, and you mm-hmm. see it as well in the in the in the Facebook group with with, with Americans yeah. in Norway. Uh, there's a lot of us that are struggling. And yeah. my heart goes out to them. It is not an easy transformation if you can't get that foothold when it comes to education or, or in lieu of that, uh, some sort of job where you can sustain yourself. I've been fortunate, yeah. extremely fortunate. I am blessed to have gotten as far and been as successful as I have been here. But I see the struggle. There's a yeah, lot of us I, that aren't making it. Well, I, you know, I had the, um, I, I, I was a cook. Uh, so that is, that is a job that, you know, at that point, uh, everybody, you know, it it was a, it was a desired position, uh, you know, cooks were needed. Um, and then it it got to where my body was, could not take, you know, the 12 hour days anymore. Uh, 12 hours on your feet, man. That's, uh, that's rough. That, that. Yeah, that was well. Here was actually just a great thing because it wasn't twelve hours here. It was you know, it was seven and a half hours. Yeah, you know, or eight hours. You know, minus your thirty minute break. Uh, but you know, in the states, it was you know twelve was a short day. You know, it <laughs> yeah. was it was you know up to fourteen sixteen hours sometimes. And thank God for the good labor laws over here in Norway. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's. It, but you know that's when I started looking into other things and and just fell into uh, special needs. Uh, a, a, one of the mothers in in my son's kindergarten, she knew somebody that worked at a at a junior high that had special needs. Okay. She said, "I know that they're always looking for help." Yeah. Can I? You know, you want me to call? Yeah. Why? You know, why not? And you know, I've been pretty much doing that ever since. Wow, uh, man, what a fulfilling job. It's great. I've, I've loved it, and I'd love to continue, but I don't have the, you know, the, the special educators uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I've, 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 I've been able to sort of con my way into, into <laughs> there a couple of Good old American ingenuity. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, but it, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the um, – <laughs> You know, because the vocational stuff is very practical. Yes. And and a lot of the special needs need practical sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so so they go really well together. Uh, and and so it's it's been it's been great. Uh, but now I've I've finally landed at least for a year landed a job as uh, as a teacher, uh, which is you know. But again, I, I've got the Norwegian education, so they can't. Get me on that. Yeah, they can't get you on that. But it's been—I tell you—it's been a, a tough, tough process. I don't know how many applications I've sent out. You know, because now they do it for schools. They have sort of a one mass application. You you send it. It's a general submission. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, and you know we need teachers. Okay. Yeah. Send yeah. send your application in and and what what subjects you can and and all of that and then you know. How many, I don't know how many city I don't know how, how many jobs were available, but I've sent it out to five, six different cities. Wow! You know, nothing. Wow! Nothing. And and I, you know, I even though I've got the Norwegian or the Norwegian education, I, you know, and it may be because it's it's vocational. Um, 
and I've got, you know, I've, I can do, I, so I could do either at the high school level, you know, I could do trade school uh-huh. teaching or down to junior high, I could do the food and health. Yeah. And then I've, I've also got history that I could teach. I see. Uh, and that's, that may be just a bit too, too narrow for, for a lot, but you know, thrown in there at English, you know, it's okay. I don't have the formal, uh, the formal points on it, you know, because right. they do the 60 study points to, yeah. to be able to, to teach. Yeah. I don't have that on paper, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty fluent in English and you know, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, you got a weird I, accent though. You got a weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I'm, I'm sure I could, uh, you know, I need to brush up on the grammar, I'm sure. Uh, well, the thing but, is, is they, if, if they open their, if they open their minds a little bit and look at your unique position, uh, you are an American, you do speak English as your own language, you have that, uh, that culinary background, uh, and you just, you, you have a different experience <clears throat> that can be attractive for students, especially at that level of, of junior high, high school. Yeah. Uh, you know, like from eighth, eighth, eighth grade all the way through, uh, you know, I have a little bit different school system here as you and I know, uh, yeah. but you know, eighth to 12th grade, we can say, uh, that is something that can be very attractive. It can, it can open the doors for a different kind of connection to the students. than what and, and I, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, you, you're so right. And I, and I've also tried to sell myself in that way that, yeah. you know, I've got a different viewpoint and, and yeah. that could be, very valuable absolutely uh, to the students and you know and everywhere i've gone i've just you know i get not to brag but i've gotten rave reviews and you know and i'm getting called back again and again and again Man, and that's great i tell you it's it it's um my, my first job <clears throat> i got um i got headhunted actually they found me and asked me to run an after school project uh from the eighth eighth to tenth tw- uh, grade uh, a, a junior high school, basically, uh, to run an after-school program for those students, uh, and this was just a couple of months after we had moved here, way back in 2002, uh, and that was based on my. I guess they they were they they thought progressively. They thought a little bit different. They were looking at my background uh, as a police officer in the states, mm-hmm. and wanted to apply that knowledge and that background. Uh, in a school setting, you know, so I started running that project. And then, uh, very shortly after that, I also got offered, uh, a teaching job at that school. Um, so that was my, that was my first job as a, as a teacher. I taught, um, mm-hmm. in English of course, and music. Yeah. And I, yeah. Ran, and I ran the after school program and it was some of the best times the most fulfilling times that I've had in all my years here in Norway. Uh, I can't describe the relief I felt when I got that job because I had an enormous amount of anxiety because I was pulled out of my comfortable environment as a police officer and transplanted here to Norway with nothing, no connections, no no, no Norwegian approved education, nothing. And I had no clue what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. 
And by the grace of God, it just fell into my lap, that position right there. And, and boy, did I enjoy it. I got that job before I could speak Norwegian. That's, that's uh, quite a feat. Yeah, I got that job before I, mean, I could speak Norwegian. I suppose that goes, I mean, that's... that's uh, Talk about thinking that's different. They, high praise, yeah. Well, they, high they, praise that, well I, I'm, I'm fortunate uh, yeah. that they were so progressive in their thinking. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow, what a start. And, and, and again, I count my blessings. I consider myself extremely fortunate to have had that kind of a professional beginning in Norway. And uh, it, it breaks my heart to see other Americans struggling, mostly because Norway will not accept that American education. It, it's, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong. I think Norway is, is missing out on a lot of talent among these Americans who are here. And I'm sure other nations as well, but it's just, a, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They are. I, I, I think they are, uh, you know, they're missing the boat in a lot of ways. So, yeah, you know, you, uh, you definitely have something different to offer, uh, as a teacher. And, and I, I loved working with that age group, um, I, I have had such a good time the last, gosh, uh, almost eight years now, uh, doing all this and uh, I've, um, um, it's been terribly re- rewarding. Um, and, but I, you know, I was like, I, I, I have, I've had, I've also had so much anxiety because I've been, I've been, um, uh, you know, on a call list. Yeah. And then I've gotten, uh, so I was, I first, the first job I had in, in special needs and that was, uh, you know, as a call in it, but you know, I worked just about every single day. Okay. The need is, is that great? I see. And then, and then I've, you know, and then I've gotten, um, a substitute for, you know, a couple of months or for a semester or for, uh, the whole school year. So the last, you know, the last particularly the last six years have been um, shorter and, and longer engagements. What's the longest for- you've gone without being, uh, being in an engagement? Um, well, I, it was voluntary, but it was, it was a semester. Uh, the spring semester of 2019, because I had to, I had to do my uh, bachelor's, my, or what, I don't know what you'd call it, what you, uh, senior thesis, I guess, but I had a research paper that I had to get done. Uh, okay. so I worked, I worked a lot in the fall to have, you know, to save up a little bit of money so that I could, I could yeah. take it a little bit easy so I could not have to work. And as soon as I delivered my paper, I, you know, called up and, uh, you know, I was back to work, uh, okay. not as often, but it was, you know, call in and, yeah. That's the way it was. I can so. imagine there's a lot of anxiety with that. I mean, you you you, um, you have you have a job, you have a contract for a short period of time, but then that anxiety of okay, well, what's going to happen when this engagement is over? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's been that way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that my my wife earns well, so it has not been. It's not been that much of a burden, but you know, it's still we could, we could not live 
uh, we would be very meager on just her salary. I tell you, thank goodness for these Norwegian women with uh, with good inheritances. <laughs> well, I've, I've I've got one with a, I've got one with a good education. Well, oh, education and inheritance, even better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> marry up, marry up, not down. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the and the uh, and I think one reason why I've gotten so we go so well together is is uh, she's half English. So oh, okay. my, yeah. my my father in law is is English, uh, and you know, so she she has she grew up with the, you know seeing her dad in these struggles. Okay, she understands, um, and she under you know and she understands, and you know, and and she has always been uh, supportive, and and you know when I finally got this right now, I've got a uh, it's an engagement uh, for a year. Uh, which takes a lot of the pressure off, but sure, sure. You know, she said, she said, you know, congratulations. You've been really patient. You've, you know, you've worked hard for this, and you know, and you know, and and that's not something I would have had maybe in in other marriages. Or <laughs> my last two. <laughs> hey, man, practice makes perfect. That's right. Um, no, I tell you that that um, that solid relationship, that solid marriage means so much. Uh, <clears throat> again, I, I, I know, especially some American women, uh, there's a handful of them who, who uh, came here with nothing, uh, and that includes coming here with no solid relationship. The marriage fell apart mm-hmm. relatively quickly, and then all of a sudden they're faced with a pretty hard, now, you know, there's, there's a great social system here, you know, uh, nobody's going to starve. In Norway, no. but to be a fresh immigrant with a freshly ruined marriage and you're on your own and you may have cut all your ties back home, you know, what are you going to go back to? You don't have a job back in the States because you left. Yeah. And, and um, some of them with relatively young children, you know, uh, wow. That, you know, there's, there's some of them are struggling. I, I see yeah, it. I, I know, I know, and you know. Uh, aren't aren't we lucky? I, we are, I, we yeah. are so we are fortunate who have the good uh, the good marriage, the understanding spouse. Uh, I tease my wife like crazy. I, I test her patience daily as much as yeah. I tease her, but she's she's a rock, man. She's solid, and and yeah. that is that is uh, that's a big part of my my success and happiness here is having that solid marriage someone i can Ab- lean on abs- absolutely absolutely because i don't I mean i don't have i don't have the uh i don't have a a friend network here uh and i've lived you know i, I i'm i feel like i'm in a lot of ways i'm a, I'm a man with no country because i've been away from there for so long that you know i i don't really i, I don't have any I, ha- I have like two or three friends over there that I, that I keep up with in any sort of meaningful way, not just Facebook. Yeah. And then, and then here I don't really have, uh, you know, I've had friends, some that I've worked with, but then if, if I've changed jobs then you know, they're not there. Um, and you know, and I'm stubborn enough uh, and, and possibly, uh, to, to a fault that, you know, well, if nobody's going to call me, well, screw it. I'm not going to call them either. <laughs> and and that, and that's a, that's a piss poor way of thinking. But you know, it's, it it's kind of it, it happens. And I'm also an introvert, so I don't. 
you know, I, I, I've a lot of times I like to be yeah, yeah. Uh, on my own, but uh, a lot of times also, you know, you know, you know, I'd, I'd love to sit and watch a ball game. Yeah, with somebody, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and drink some beer and you know, cook some ribs or you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I miss I miss that. Fall is the worst time of the year for me. Really, you think yeah, so? Yeah, because of, because of football. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's that it's it's you know, it's particularly college football. Gosh, uh, I miss college football. Oh, yeah, man, and, do and I that's, miss that. And that's when I that's when I go you know sort of into my and yeah. winter I can handle because there's outside activities and it's great. Yeah, uh, I don't love winter because I hate you know I hate shoveling snow. We bought a we bought a snow thrower which has been the best investment ever <laughs> ever. It's a life without changer. A doubt. It's a life changer. It is absolutely. It is. Do you um, ever find yourself wanting to go back, move, no. move back? No, no, no. I've. I, you know, I've sort of, I've. This is where my, this is where my family is. This is where my life is. I have no need to go back, uh, or, or not, not to move back anyway. Um, I've come. You know, I, I like it here. I've and I've, and I've I'm doing well now. There's been times where I've wanted to just, you know, say fuck it and you know yeah, pack it in and pack it in and and head off. But you know, I've wanted to do that at times too. But you know what has kept me from doing it? The hassle of having to start from scratch back mm-hmm. home. That has been a big deterrent during times where both I and my wife wanted to move back. Now I have no yeah. desire to want to move back. Now I'm terribly homesick. I always am. But I have yeah. no desire to, to, to move back now. But up through the years, I have wanted to. But that, that task of reestablishing myself has kept me from doing it. I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit. Because I, 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 I don't, yeah. I, I've, I've worked too hard to, yes. you know, I'm sort of just now getting a foot in the door. Yep. And I do not want to move back to have to start you've all invested over again. you've invested everything you've invested yeah. and, and yeah. To, to, to throw it all away would be uh, yeah it's, it's too big of a task too big of a task. yeah it's 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 too much to ask of me anyway um, I'm, uh, and it's and it's such a hassle to move God I mean you, you know <laughs> I, I just I don't want to do it you know it's it's a hassle just to move house I don't want to have to yeah. move countries either. Um, we have moved so many times here in Norway. Um, uh, man, I bet you we've moved six or seven times. Now, <clears throat> where we are is where we will stay. We're done with yeah. that. Um, it's too much. <laughs> it just, yeah. it just told. It's like taking your entire life, putting it in a plastic bag filling it halfway with mud, halfway with water and shaking it up. And then yeah. when you get to the new place, you've got to dump that bag and resort your life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. can't, I can't yeah. do it again. Can't do it. No, me, me neither. We, we debated for a while, uh, whether or not to move, it was either move or build on to the, to the existing house. Uh-huh. It's, it's my wife's house. I moved in with her. Um, and when we started having a family, then it was okay. We either need to move or we need to add on. Yeah. And we went for adding on, uh, because we're very, you know, the location of this house is really nice. Uh, it's quiet. 
Uh, it's a we we're on the at the end of a dead end. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, and you know, it, it couldn't be better. Uh, nice. And you know, and my wife said, if if we're going to move, it's going to be for dream house, right by the water. That's the only way she's going to be moving. And you know, as you know, and like everywhere else, anything right by the water is more than we have than we can afford. So. Uh, <laughs> So we're here and we like it. Well, we have, uh, you know, we're, we're down here in, uh, in, in the city, but we have our other home way up north, uh, and that one is right by the sea. I have to have that ocean thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a rural guy from Ohio, so I don't know anything about the ocean from my upbringing, but since then, uh, you know, being in the Marines and, and overseas and then the places we lived here in Norway, I am uh, totally smitten by the sea. So uh, yeah. have, having our place up north, up in Finnmark, uh, which is, you know, we have the ocean for our front yard. Right. That's, that's important to me. Got to have that. And, 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 yeah. as, and as you say, uh, because of the pricing here in Norway, I think housing in Norway in general is expensive. But if you're going to get something by the ocean, man, you... Um, Again, as I said earlier, that thing about marrying up. <laughs> now, my, yeah. wife, my wife got... That's where her father uh, grew up. Yeah, so that's, okay. that's in her family. And uh, otherwise, there's I, there's no way in the world we would be able to afford something like that. No. Well, you, you know, we we, uh, we are in... Uh, I live in Santa Fjord, which is a, you know, seaside yeah. town. We live, you know, sort of up away from the ocean. But my mother-in-law and her sister have a cabin... Uh, you know, 20 minutes from here, okay, uh, yeah. still in Sanford. And it's, it's not right. It, it's two minutes to walk to the beach. Nice. Uh, nice. and I, you know, when I, when I was first together with my wife, I, uh, I never saw the point. What's the point of having a place so close to home, but man, is it nice. I tell you, it's, it's a different world when you have that beachfront. Uh, well, yeah. Now, do you, do you have a nice beach there, or is it rocky? It's, it's, it, no, it's a very, it's a very nice beach. Good, it is. Good. It's, uh, it's sand. Uh, you know, of course, there are some rocks, but it's, uh, it's sand. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's the nicest beach in town. Nice. Uh, by, by far side. It's, it's so nice to have a place like that to escape from, escape to. That's, uh, yeah. And you know, we can, you know, it's got facilities. We, we've got a bathroom there. We've got a kitchen, you know, you can sleep there. We don't because it's, you know, it, it's not terribly comfortable. It's, uh, the, uh, the bed, you know, that's the foam mattress and they mm. are not comfortable. <laughs> uh, so we, we tend not to spend the night there. Um, but but it's it's you know it's nice to be out there and if it starts raining I screw it we'll just pack up and go home. You know what we ought to do? They have um, I don't know what cable uh, package you have for, for TV, but I have um, oh man what's it called? Is it called v- Via Sport? Yeah. And during the NFL season, they'll play NFL games. Now they're always like two or three days after the game has been played. Right. But you need to get up here at some point this fall. Now, who knows what the NFL season is going to be like, but man, you just need to get yeah. on up here and we can meet, would, catch would a game. And, yeah. Would love to do it. Cause I know I, I do. Um, I have a subscription subscription for uh, ESPN player and that's where I watch all my college games. 
You know, I should, uh, I should do I should do that. I've been too cheap to do it. But like I said, I miss college ball. But I should just yeah. get that ESPN player. It's it's not it's not that expensive. It's you know. What are you paying? You can debate whether. Oh, you know what? I don't remember. I pay it once a year, and I I think it's um. I think it's about. Uh, I think it's about. Is it twenty? It's twenty pounds. Okay. It goes through England, so it's uh, yeah. What about two hundred kroner? Yeah, that's nothing for or so year. for. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that's it. That's nothing. Um, but you know, you can debate. You know, it's it's stable. It's not stable. It's you know, sometimes it hasn't been worth it. But for the most part, it it has been. Well, that's um, what I've always heard about it. Is that sometimes it can just you can get kicked out of it because of the it's it's unstable and people get frustrated. You can't really have continuity when you're watching a game. Not not all the time, but you know, I I've had more good experiences than I have bad experiences. Okay. And plus, you know, and then you can watch the college baseball, um, basketball. Uh, I've got the college pass, so I, yeah. any. But what what irritates me more than anything else is what they show. Uh, you know, they've they instead of having. Um, like for instance, instead of having good baseball games, you know they're got they've got lacrosse, <laughs> yeah, or you yeah. know, and I understand there are lacrosse fans. I, I don't sure. know much about lacrosse. It looks like a kind of cool game, but but you know, I would imagine there's more baseball fans in America or <laughs> yes. you know even in Europe than than there are yeah lacrosse fans. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it's it's. I would but be getting I, it just for the college football thing. I, I miss yeah. watching a good college football game. And to me, college football is twice the entertainment that professional football is. Yeah. Oh, I like I like it because people are, you know, people are so much more, seem to be so much more invested in it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they have more of a belonging uh, yeah. to the school or whatever. And, yeah. uh um, and I've, and also like that it changes a little more often, you know, that you, you know, players, it's, you know, you've got yeah. players for, for three to five years and yeah, that's it. And then then they move changeover. on. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, you know, a lot more coaching changes and, and all of that. So who's, who's your team? Uh, I, uh, I gotta go with Ole Miss. You gotta go with Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh I, well, I can't, there. I can't fault you there. That's some exciting football. Yeah, and I, you know, and we've just uh, we, you know, after the the ping in the end zone deal, we've uh, <laughs> we fired the coach and we and we brought on brought in Lane Kiffin, so everybody is tell, geared up. Tell people about the ping in the end zone thing. Oh yeah, I, I can't remember who the player was, but in the last game of the season, the last season, um, we were playing Mississippi State and. Uh, we scored a touchdown, and we could have—I think—we could have tied the game with the extra point. Anyway, the player decides he's going to act like it because Mississippi State is the Bulldogs. Yeah. And so the player got down on all fours and lifted a leg and acted like he was peeing, peeing like a dog. And they threw a flag, and so the little extra point <laughs> turned turned into. Uh, of field goal, which was yeah. missed, and and we lost. And but had that not happened, we would have been stuck in mediocrity with <laughs> our coach. 
uh, who, who Matt Luke, who is a, a fantastic guy. I mean, nobody hates Matt Luke. He's he's a great mm-hmm. guy. He was mm-hmm. an Ole Miss guy. Went to school there. All of that. You know, real stand up. Everybody likes him, but just not sure he's head coach material. But why? But why use that as an excuse to fire him? I didn't. I never understood that. It was the player. Who did the symbolic uh, pissing in the in the end zone? It yeah. wasn't the coach. No, but I think it was a combination of things. Um, and and that. But just, didn't they didn't they officially say that that was the reason though? That, I think well, that was sort of the the tip of the that that, that was okay. the straw that broke the camel's back okay. in a way. Uh, <laughs> I think that Pete many many had been calling for his termination for a while, uh, and then they sort of that that was sort of an excuse as. Um, you know, a lack of control yeah. or whatever you okay. want to call it. And, um, hold, hold on a second, George. So, yeah, no worries. Are you- Cappuccino later? Italian ice cream? <laughs> she don't let me have any fun. Did you hear? That was a very, very definite no, she says. Go on with yourself then. <laughs> uh, that was that was Snoopy, everybody. Uh. I was, I've been trying to make a date with her. There's this uh, there's this place down the road. Um, I cannot remember the name of it. Otherwise, I would plug them. I cannot remember the name, but it's uh, they have uh, real authentic Italian ice cream and the best coffee mocha you can find in the city. And nice. I've been trying to make a date with her to go there, but she's, I call it Snoop stuff. She's got, Snoopy has Snoop stuff to do. She ain't got time for yeah. that. <laughs> you know, me and my son, a couple of years ago, I was in Rome with my son. We, we did a father-son trip, and uh, we went and got some gelato. And after we figured gelato, out how you do that's what it's called. Yeah, gelato. Yeah, yeah, after we figured out how, because you have to pay first, and then yeah, you pay by size, and then you could just go pick. Good Lord, uh, what an experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, we tried, you know, we always got three scoops and we always got different flavors every time. And the number of flavors and, oh, and the, and the actual, you know, the taste was so much better. I mean, strawberry gelato uh, there's nothing is like a it, man. whole lot different than yeah. the Norwegian strawberry ice cream. And Norwegian ice like, cream is great. I think Norwegian ice cream is better than American ice cream, but this gelato and, and this place I'm talking about is authentic. You know, it's run by a family from Italy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're in oh, there speaking oh. Italian. They've got Italian radio going on in the background through digital radio and stuff. So it's the real deal. And, man, I bet nice. you they've got like... 15 different flavors of ice cream. Yeah. They've got flavors oh. of chocolate and vanilla and strawberry that I've never, it's not just chocolate, it's chocolate something or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> flavors uh, yeah. that I've never yeah. even heard of before. I love yeah. it. So shame, shame on Snoopy for not wanting to, well, one, one of us will keep the love flowing in this, in this marriage. <laughs> one, one of us will. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, wow. Man, you know, I tell you, um, I, I've, I've really looked forward to this conversation. Um, you are probably, well, I don't want to say you're the first, but you are one of the few American Southerners who have that viewpoint that you have uh, when it comes to dialogue, when it comes to acknowledging the past and, 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 uh, and uh, wanting to do something to better the future when it comes to, 
to race relations. Yeah, I, you're, you're I, in a, you're I, in a unique you. position. You really are. Okay. Well, I you know when, I, when all of the, particularly after George Floyd, the George Floyd murder, and I and I, I was because that picture that I showed you, mm-hmm. and I'll send you one. I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. But that hung at the bottom of our stairs. Yeah. And as I told you, it, you know, it was it was more of a it was a family heirloom, and I and I never thought much about the meaning of it. Uh, and then I kept walking by it, and I just and it kept drawing my eye, yeah. and I that's why I said it's it's you know I'm not going to throw it away. Um, it's no, because it's a part of your history. It's, it's part of my history, Absolutely. and 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 I would disagree that a lot of people. Oh well, it's our heritage. You know, it's part of my history, but it's not part of my heritage. It's um, and there I'll is a distinction. The, there is a disti- yes, distinction, and I, I'll accept the fact that it happened, um, and I'll do what I can to, you know, to teach future generations. You know, I teach my kids that you know it's you know it's not right. We treat everybody the same, and. Um, you know, and I'm not one of those people who do. You know, I see color. Yes, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna treat you any different. I've than, said, yeah, and I've said that yeah. before on my podcast. Uh, for those who claim that they don't see color, I think that's foolish. I say yeah. there's nothing wrong with you seeing my color. Just don't treat me any different because of it. So you yeah, and I, I, you and I, we rhyme right there. That's yeah, uh, yeah, and and it's um, you know I know we segued off into a whole. We started out <laughs> on racism and all of that Italian and, ice uh, cream and <laughs> yeah, yeah, un- yeah, ungrateful wives and. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's 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 a it's a tough question. It really is. Um, and and I've and it, there's no easy answer. But I I think the the best for me the best way forward is through dialogue, uh, open and honest dialogue, and not just and, and you know because I, I I tend to think of the current administration as like a little kid who's just gone in and just shit all over the place yep. and is, you know, and is going to head out Yeah, yeah, and continues to just throw shit on the walls and at everybody else. And it's just, it's awful. And I, I can't, and that is not dialogue. That no, is, it's not. Uh, and, and Congress as much as anybody else, you know, they need some term limits and they need, they need to get a backbone and, and stand up for what's right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I can disagree with, I can disagree with Democrats on how things should sure, be, you know, sure. po- policy and, you know, I'll disagree with anybody on policy, but just because we have a disagreement does not mean that we can't work together to solve this, but it's just, you know, the gap to me just gets bigger and Absolutely. bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger and nobody is doing anything. I just hope there's some significant change come November 4th. We need it. We, we need that significant change. And yeah. I believe now Joe Biden is not my first choice for a Democratic no. candidate, but he is the one who's there, and I accept that. Mm. I, I believe <clears throat> with all of his flaws, I do believe that once he becomes president, 
he will do or attempt to do significant uh, things to change the situation in America. I have faith in that. I do too. And I, and I also think he's smart enough to listen to people that are, you know, have, have the expertise in different fields. Well, there's the bell ringer right there. I don't think he's going to be afraid to bring in experts. Whereas this, this man that's there now doesn't want to listen to anyone. No, no. And that's, and there's the difference. There's all the difference in the world right there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. What a great conversation that was. I'm glad. I'm. I'm glad I called you. And I, to begin with, and I'm glad we got. To, uh, we got to have a discussion on on race, and you know, and I've. I, you know, like I said, it's it's my experience, and and I don't speak for for every Southerner, but I would. I think it's safe to assume that a lot of Southerners have had the same. At least white male Southerners have had the same experience as I have. Um, maybe not some of the, uh, female Southerners, uh, or particularly, particularly people, uh, people of color, uh, that grew up in the South. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's one thing that has always, or that's one thing that has been gotten to be important to me is trying to understand that viewpoint because I never, you know, except for the, you know, the one time in 97 I told you about when I, yeah, yeah. In, in Norway, I've never experienced um, prejudice. Right, right. You know, and I, I went to public schools up until sixth grade, and then I went to a private school. Uh, there were no black kids at the private school. Um public school that, you know, a lot of my best friends were black. Mm. Um, admittedly, you know, none of them ever spent the night with me. Uh, but how did, how was that addressed? Because it's a normal thing for friends at that age to spend the night with each other. Did you ever, was it ever addressed in any way or was it just something that was never brought up? I was never really brought up. I never, You know, I had a, I had a couple of friends that I from kindergarten, and 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 those were the ones that, yeah. I mean, the the kids that spent the night with me were were also white. Yeah. Um, but they also lived very close to me. Okay. Uh, a lot of the black kids that went to my school were bussed in. Okay, because that was my next question: How segregated was your school? But you say uh, now they were they were bust in, so they weren't yeah, from they your were, neighborhood, but they were bust no, in. Okay. Yeah, they were bust in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that they had there was there was a you know it was not a black kids bus per se, but I you see. know it it went to this area yeah. where all the black kids lived, uh, and then I took a bus, you know that was full of white kids because yeah. that was in our neighborhood. Uh, and I was actually supposed to go to another school, but we used my grandparents' address uh, mm. because that public school was a better one than the one I was supposed to go to. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, so I, I had, you know, at that age, I did, you know, politics didn't interest me at all. And no, I, no. I, had, I had, you know, I had my friends, we played at school. Uh, black and white, all you know, yeah. and and then uh, after school, you know, the black kids went home and the white kids went home. Interesting. 
See, I never, you know, of course, I had no clue about politics and all that stuff. And I had no clue about racism until, uh, and I talked about this before on my podcast <clears throat> a couple episodes back. Um, we moved from the city out to the country in that summer between second and third grade. So I was seven years old, roughly, mm-hmm. when we moved out to the country. And then the first day of school, I was confronted by a group of boys who... Uh, um, yeah, you know, they threw the N word around and they made it obvious right. that they didn't want. And, and then that was my first experience with racism that I can remember. That was the first time that racism became an issue. And that's when I was seven years old. So that kind of set, I don't want to say it set the tone because I'm not going to say that my entire, uh, all of my years of school were filled with racism, but it kind of opened my eyes to to the fact that there was something called racism, and here's what right. it is. Here's how it manifests itself. Well, in in your experience, was racism more prevalent in rural areas or in in urban areas? Uh, you know, that's 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 a hard question for me to answer. You know, I only have at that time I only had the reference point that I had, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid, as a kid living in a rural, uh, area. Um, in fact, uh, the episode that's coming up, um, no, I don't want to say too much about that anyway, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's something that I address in previous episodes and that I'm going to address in upcoming episodes. And it's the fact that I had that reference point as a black kid in an all white uh, area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the kids, you know how kids are. There's a new kid that comes and they're just going to pick on that kid because he's new. Right. But then there were certain things that these kids said at that age as a seven and eight year old. And they were saying things that they only could have heard from their parents. Right. Yeah. So, so was I in a racist environment? Well, the honest answer is yes. Yes, I was. Um, but to compare it to other areas, whether, you know, another city or another rural area, that's, that's, that's hard to do because I think that will vary greatly depending on where you are in the country. Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't know. I, I do think that the segregation that we see in, in the big cities today is indicative of the current state of racism. Look how segregated Chicago is. You know, why, why, why is it that in our biggest cities you have white neighborhoods and you have black neighborhoods and then you have Hispanic neighborhoods? Why is that? You know, there's something that is fomenting um, segregation. Uh, is it willful of these people to live only in a black area or only in a Hispanic area? Are they doing that willfully or is it something in society that's causing that to happen? I think it's something in society that is causing that to happen. So I think it is too. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, maybe racism, uh, uh, systemic racism is more prevalent in cities than it is in rural areas. But then again, how many non-white people are living in, in, in rural areas? I can tell you from my, from my time growing up in a rural area, they're, they're, there were almost none. So yeah. how will racism manifest itself in those rural areas? Maybe it won't manifest itself at all. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. 
No, I it's think, a difficult. I it's think, a difficult issue. It, it is, but I think you know the, the the subject of housing. You know, that's I think that's almost in a lot of ways it's been engineered yes. by those in power uh, through gerrymandering, gerrymandering, yeah. and and whatnot. Um, and you know, I know in in my home state, there you know there are a lot of. Uh, blacks living in rural areas, particularly in the Mississippi Delta, yeah. you know, which yeah. then they would be, you know, descendants of, of slaves. Yeah. Uh, which is where, you know, the cotton, the Delta, Mississippi Delta is yeah. where the, most of the cotton mm-hmm. was and, and still is grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, and I've I've been I used to duck hunt up in the Delta with friends and deer hunt up there, um, but we would normally just go to the to the hunting camp and hunt, and then you know we'd head yeah. back to Jackson. Yeah. Uh, but you you still see you know there's you know West Jackson uh, is mostly black, Northeast is white, uh, and then South Jackson is uh, is a mix. I guess at least it was in my time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how, but it's, I, it, you know, it's, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to convince me that, that it is willful that, you know, black people, they, they just want to live with black people. And, and right. Right. Uh, I think for white people, a lot of it is willful that they just sure. want to live with white people. Sure. But for everybody else, sure. I don't think they've had much of a choice. Exactly. And that, that's that's something that really provokes me. That makes me want to jump into the debate and dialogue when I hear people talk about, you know, they always want to talk about the ills of of Chicago. Uh, look at those black people in Chicago. Why don't they better themselves? Why don't they fix South Chicago? Well, it's, it's, it's not that easy. Those people are not there living in that way by choice. You know, why don't those people just pull themselves up and get out of that neighborhood in South Chicago? You know, the callousness of that statement is astounding. There is no yeah. one living there who is enjoying the poverty. You have to look at the systemic, and here comes that word systemic again, uh, the systemic racism in the housing uh, procedures uh, and the housing gu- guidelines up through generations in the city of Chicago that has funneled people into certain neighborhoods and then taken away, pretty much just cut the floor out underneath them to where there is no investment there. There's no jobs. There's no public transportation system. So those people are almost literally stuck there. Yeah. They live there and they have no means by which to, to lift themselves out of that. And then the rest of America stands pointing at them saying, look at you people. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah, just, just work harder. Yeah, just work harder. Why don't you do better? If you want better, then yeah. do better. You know, And, I, and it, it's the callousness and the lack of historical, the lack of understanding of history when people say things like that. It, it's It's... Well, I think I think that's a lot of it. Is nobody nobody has you know reads up on the history of it yeah. uh, or finds out why is it like this? Yeah, they just see what it is and they blame the people who are in the situation without understanding the history, without understanding the dynamics of that situation and how it came yeah. to be. 
Yeah. No. So uh, I don't, I don't know. I would. I guess. I guess racism is more obvious in the big cities. Maybe. Uh, well, not maybe. I'm sure there's a lot of racism out in rural areas. But but again, how will it manifest itself when we're talking about a rural community that's, you know, ninety nine point nine percent white? Who do they have to hate yeah. there? <laughs> you know, the yeah. hatred yeah. and the dislike and the the distant the, the 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 social distancing from certain demographics is there in their hearts and minds, but they don't get to display it because there are no people of color who are there for them to be racist against. So, yeah, yeah. I, just going, going back to your question about, you know, where, where do I think it's most prevalent? I, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's more visible in the cities, but maybe it's more prevalent in the, in the rural areas. I don't know. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I haven't spent enough time in, you know, I haven't lived in a rural area as such. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I, I I don't know, but you know, you you saw it in you saw I saw it in my hometown. Uh, I saw it in my hometown. Now I see it. Now yeah. I see it. I didn't then. I can remember there was a boy that I played baseball with, and we actually would carpool. Sometimes my mother uh, would drive us. Sometimes his mother would drive drive us to baseball practice and baseball games. Uh, foot football as well. <clears throat> and this boy would sit in the front seat of the car. And he would turn around and he would just look at me with looks of disgust. And he'd be like, you, you, I'm just going to say it, you, you fucking nigger. Good Lord. Yeah. And his mother would just sit there. Not saying a word. And that went on for years. That was maybe from third to fourth or fifth grade uh, where this would happen. And his mother would not say a word. And, and if my memory serves me correct, now I don't know where she's from, but she had a very distinct Southern accent. I think that in in that part of Ohio, there's a lot of, um, yeah, immigrants, if you will, people who have moved from, uh, from the South, West Virginia, Virginia, and Kentucky. I had a lot of friends who had parents who, who were quite Southern. Okay. So, uh, but, but she would just, she would just sit there, uh, you know, not, not, not saying a word, not once did she ever correct him. Never. Yeah. I'm trying to, I don't know what my mother would have done. I, my mother, now my father was from Jackson. My mother was, uh, was from Southern California. She was from, from an, an agricultural, uh, in a, uh, Imperial Valley in uh-huh. California. Um, and so I know that my my grand her dad he he was racist against Mexicans. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you know I think you could compare the two because you know the Mexicans in in that part of the country they're doing you know the same labor that yeah. the blacks in the South were doing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I you know he was in California. I didn't spend a lot of time with him because of the distance. And that time it was expensive to travel by plane and all okay. of that. Yeah. Um, uh, so my mother moved from California, not really not being, and she did not understand the whole racist mentality. Right. She didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think after a while she just, she realized that she was very much in the minority and, uh, now had I said something like that to, to somebody, to one of my friends, I think she'd have pop me in the head real quick. Um, 
I'm not sure what my dad would have done. Okay. But say, you know, and that's the weird thing that's, it's always been a puzzle to me is that my, I never heard his parents, um, say, say or do a racist thing. No. In their lives. And I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. Uh, the closest thing I ever heard, my, uh, my grandfather used to go down to uh, he. We had a uh, and still have a little tree farm, and he would go down to. He had a guy that he would call and pick up and 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 would help him help him down there doing stuff. And it was a black guy, uh, and we were putting up some new fencing, and I went down there with him, and he and he had some pliers. Uh, uh, Roy, I think was his name, but he had some pliers and he was trying to tighten up the wire on this fence and the rubber grip started to kind of bunch up a little bit. And then yeah. my grandfather said, he said, he said, don't ruin my pliers, boy. Uh, boy. Yeah. And then, and then immediately he said, Roy, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean that boy. I know that was derogatory and I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I, I apologize. Uh, I mean, he said it immediately after. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that he, you know, he just, it, it came out and it was not, I mean, he had it been me, he would have probably said the same thing. Right. I understand. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, yeah. you know, at least I, I like to think that in my, in my, yeah. in my dreams, <laughs> you know, in my head, I like to think that. No, but, but he you know, probably, the, did, he probably didn't mean it. I mean, his, I'm no, sure his apology was sincere in that it came immediately after he said it, what he said. Yeah. It absolutely was. And, you know, and I think, I think, uh, Roy appreciated that, 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 sure. you know, and, and I appreciated it. I thought that was, you know, yeah. then I realized that, you know, well, he, he didn't mean that. So I, I never, and I don't, so I don't know where my father's sort of racist comments and everything came from. So I, I think it came from other influences. I was going to say it's probably the influences of the time. It, it, it could have been the time. It could have been his time at, at, yeah. uh, at Ole Miss. It yeah. could, cause he was there, you know, uh, or mid fifties. Uh, so that, you know, and that was, you know, it was a hotbed of segregation and, you know, James, it wasn't too much longer after that, that James Meredith became the first black student there. Yeah. Um, wow. Imagine being around during those times. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, and I don't know, I don't know what the, you know, so he went to an all white school. You know, I um, it, it was it was very interesting. Uh, my times as a, as a truck driver, um, like I said, eighteen months after my active duty time in the U.S. Marines, and I went to almost every state in the nation. But I specifically remember driving through. You know, because my grandmother, when she told me mm-hmm. to be careful, like it, it really wasn't anything that I ever thought about before that. And then when she told me to be careful, it's not like it made me worried, but I said, okay, I'm going to be observant. I'm going to see if there is a difference uh-huh. in the people and how I'm treated and how people relate with me when I'm in certain states. And there is a difference. I can't put yeah. my finger on, you know, a lot of time has gone since then, but I, I remember, um, uh, and I don't see myself as a paranoid person. I'm not looking for racism, so to speak, uh, but I am very observant. And I remember it was different when I was in Mississippi and, and other states. Um, but like peop- as if people were almost overly, uh, no, I don't want to say they were careful in how they spoke to me, uh, more reserved. Right, yeah. 
more reserved, yeah, I, little less friendly. Now, is that is that racism yeah. or is that, you know, I, I I don't know, but it was different. I, it was very different. I, I suspect that it was probably racism because, you know, normally, you know, you, you see, you know, and and. and when we're at home and even here, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get very American and I'll say hello to a total stranger on the street, <laughs> you know, and my, and my kids, like, who's that? Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Why'd you say hi? <sighs> you know, just trying to be friendly. That's all. <laughs> and that happened, you know, when I take my kids over to the States and we'd visit, we walk around the neighborhood and I, I don't know that many people in my mom's neighborhood now uh, you know, there's been a there's been a change of of sort of a generational shift, yeah. and and people have moved out and and others have moved in. But you still you walk around the neighborhood and you say hello. Yeah. And so when I think when they see a strange maybe a strange black face, then they, yeah, they are probably yeah. more reserved. And then that's you know sort of inherent in the system. And it's and it's and I want I wonder how they what what their impression was of me because i you know you you see me here on this on our on our facetime you know from the from the chest up but i'm a i'm a mm-hmm. big guy very muscular i'm not tall i'm only 58 but i'm um quite muscular powerlifter yeah and i've always been uh, uh extremely muscular i'm always the biggest one in the room and i wonder how much of a part did that play in these areas that have a lot of racism, did they feel, you know, is I, I've talked about the fear of the black man that yeah. a lot of racists have. It's based on fear, almost a physical fear that manifests itself, it's itself with, with, with black men. And then here I come this big, thick, strong, muscular specimen of a black man. I wonder what that did to a racist when they then had to deal with me when I'm coming through, probably scared them. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Uh, you know, I, I I think had I had I met you in during that time, I probably would have been a bit scared or intimidated at the very least. Even though I'm a uh, soft-spoken, uh, uh, you know, uh, outwardly. Um, uh, compassionate and non-threatening. There would still I, you know, be. I don't know after, if if I started talking to you. Yeah. Um, I think it would have subsided pretty quickly. But um, the first reaction. But the first reaction, and and I also I, I like to think also that during that had I had I met the same guy being uh, had you been white, I'd have probably been slightly reserved. I see. But, yeah. but, you know, for me, that might have been more, you know, big muscle dude, you know, yeah. what's, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to get on his bad side. Right, right. And and I, and I can know, understand that. I can understand yeah, that. It's, it's a, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, but I, I think it, it may be a combination of being black and being being muscular, uh, where, where your strength is, is, is obvious. Yeah. Um, in other words, so, <laughs> strength and, and size and all that, and the, and the threat of getting your ass kicked, maybe will make a racist be a little bit less racist in the moment. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe, or you know, it might just open up the door enough where you can talk to them. And re- you well, know, well, I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat to anybody. I'm just here, you know, doing a job. Well, I can tell you, I had a run up to. Um, I was actually in Canada for a while, and on that trip, I made a stop somewhere way up north, uh, up by the border in Minnesota, up by the Canadian Minnesotan border, mm-hmm. and. You know, I back the truck into the warehouse and they're unloading and I'm inside just, you know, kind of hanging out, drinking a cup of coffee. And everybody was just kind of staring at me and looking me up and down and stuff. So finally I asked this. They, they weren't unfriendly, but I could tell they were curious. It was actually kind of humorous at the time. I didn't feel threatened in the slightest bit. So finally yeah. I asked this guy, you know, what's what's up? What are you guys what are you guys looking at? And this guy says something to the effect, you know, with that Minnesota accent. Yeah. He says, well, you know, we, we don't see too many of your kind up here, don't you know? And I just had to bust out laughing. And then, and then we opened up. We had a little had a little talk about that. They were simply not used to seeing a black guy way up there. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really that simple. So they were curious. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. That's an example where, where dialogue, you know, just talk, talk. And you'll see that there really are no differences between, between people. The guy yeah. was just curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, the one of my first, <laughs> and this this is this is a, a slightly embarrassing to tell because it just uh, sort of how <laughs> close minded I was at that time. My first experience with this black guy in Norway was, you know, he was. Uh, I, I saw him just uh, what, was it at the around the town center shopping center. And I saw this black guy, and I thought, and my first thought was, he's got to be an American. Okay, never yeah. occurred to me that the dude could be from Africa, yeah. which he was. Yeah. So he he didn't he did, his English was he didn't have too good of English, and and you know I didn't have any Norwegian, so we just we couldn't really yeah. talk. But you know he was a nice fellow, and I tried to you know tried to start a conversation with him, and then realized, oh man, this guy's not African American. He's African African. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> You know, never occurred to me. Right. I thought oh, he's black. He must. He must be American. No. See, no, for, black for me, people in other parts. Well, for, for, other parts for me, the it's the opposite. When I see a black guy here, I automatically assume he's African, just because I know there's. I mean, there there are a few black Americans here, but when I say few, I mean a few, capital F. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Um. But that isn't, but that is interesting. And I have since, you know, since I've been here now, almost 20 years, uh, what, 18, 18 and a half years, I know that most people are going to assume, uh, well, they're not going to figure out, they're not going to think that I'm American. And it's very interesting to see how they treat me because they don't think I'm American because there is a noticeable change, very often a noticeable change when they do find out that I'm American, yeah, there's a. So you're, you think you're you're so your your experience is being treated differently as a black American versus a black African, for example. African. Although yeah. some people think I don't know if it's because of my skin tone or facial features, a lot of Norwegians think I'm a Pacific Islander. Samoan or, yeah. or something, which, yeah. is, which is, I, I just have to laugh. I don't, I don't understand that, but that's what a lot of Norwegians think. It's pretty funny. Right. Yeah. But they, but they, they almost always assume I am, uh, I am African or, or Pacific Islander or something. And wow. Then, yeah. And, and then I see a 
change in the way they treat me or relate to me when I tell them I'm an American. And that says something about xenophobia and possibly uh-huh. racism or, or prejudice. That says a lot right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting to fig, you know, to th- try to figure out what is, what is behind the Norwegian racism. I mean, you know, cause even, even their constitution, you know, did not allow Jews yes. into the country mm-hmm. until when 19, it was late 1970 something, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think the Norwegian society, I think that their customs and their way of life is so strong and well embedded in the people here. I don't see what they have to fear. I don't see why xenophobia is an issue here because Norway is very Norwegian. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's not, yeah. there's not a lot of immigrants here. You know, they talk about their fear of Muslim influence and whatnot. I don't know the percentage, but there are not a lot of non-Norwegians here. So I don't know what they're afraid of. Don't they see the strength in their society, in the way their way of living? I don't think they do, because if they did, they would not fear non-Norwegian people coming to this country. Yeah. Now, that's I, my opinion. I, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I, yeah. I think that's a... Loot to fisk and left say in every home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, now I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> hey, man, listen, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, we've been talking for two hours and five oh, wow. minutes. It's yes. been a, it's been a great conversation, but I need to, I need to move along and see if I can get that woman of mine to go get some Italian ice cream and, and, uh, and a coffee mocha. Do that. Do that. <laughs> But I uh, have truly enjoyed this conversation. I do want to thank you. And uh, let's call this uh, day one of our friendship. I need to get you up here. We can watch some football this fall. Absolutely. I will look forward to it, John. Absolutely. That would be uh, that would be great. And we'll have you down here. I told you I've had some um, on our first conversation about the two other couples that we met. That's right. We were going right. to have a fried, fried food evening. That's and, right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have... Uh, when we when we pin that down, I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely send you an invite. I'll be there, but uh, be careful. I've got an appetite. I can eat now. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. All right, that's that's fine. That's fine. All right, man. We'll, we'll have plenty of it. Well, let's make it happen. And uh, I just want to say again, thank you for having this conversation with me. It's been enlightening. Thank you for sharing some things uh, that a lot of people aren't willing to share. I appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you for letting me share. All right. Thanks a lot, George. Okay. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home.